Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about answers to your questions. I've received questions via Instagram, email, comments on my blog, and I'm going to delve a little deeper into the answers in this podcast. We're going to talk about dosing herbs. We're going to talk about multivitamins versus nourishing herbal infusions, food for a nine-month-old, combining astragalus and elderberry or not, and my experience of late with yarrow tincture. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. First off, I just want to thank you all for sending me your questions. Uh, It's really fun to hear about what you're interested in and what you're dealing with in life right now. And um, yeah, thank you for wanting to know what my responses are. This is the third time that I've answered questions and it's been fun and I hope it's a segment of the podcast that you enjoy as well. So we have some really good questions that are relatively interconnected. And the first one, I, um, so generally I like to, you know, send quick responses to people when you ask me questions, if possible. But I feel like I just never have the time or the energy to type out a long response to questions, and I usually have a lot to say, so it's easier for me just to speak it, and the podcast is a great venue for that. Uh, This first question, uh, someone sent in recently, and I read it, and then I didn't have the time in the moment to send a response, and now I can't find the question. I don't remember if it came in through Instagram or 
my email or Facebook. I've looked for it and I can't find it. So I hope that this finds you, the questioner. The question involved um, a woman who was pregnant and she was questioning whether how I dealt with my pregnancy if I took prenatal vitamins or if I felt like the nourishing herbal infusions were enough. I think she was also just kind of asking for general suggestions as far as nourishing yourself and getting optimum nutrition while you are pregnant. So the quick answer to that is I absolutely am all about the nourishing herbal infusions over multivitamins. And I actually don't, I used to take multivitamins. I used to take handfuls of supplements and vitamins when I was in my 20s. And I have ceased to take any capsules. And I really think that the, you know, you're only getting a very small percentage of nutrition when you take it in a capsule form. You're only getting one aspect of a vitamin or a mineral. I mean, minerals in their whole elemental state are totally not digestible. They are rocks and, you know, they are like earth material. And so they need to be bound to other things so that our body can recognize them and absorb them. And so that's why there's, you know, multiple forms of, say, calcium that our body can recognize and absorb. And usually, and it really is best if you can get all of those different calciums that have all of those attachments to them, like calcium carbonate, calcium lactate, calcium malate, calcium, you know, there's like citrate. I mean, there's, if you go to a supplement store and you go to the calcium section, you'll see usually a wall of a huge variety of different types of calciums. And usually in a multivitamin and mineral, you're only getting maybe one of those. And just one of those is going to be just a fraction of what you would get from a whole food form. And it's really not absorbable by the body. It's not really recognizable when it's not attached to uh, proteins, from my understanding, because proteins are like little flags that your liver can read and your liver then determines what to do with what you've ingested based on the flag that's attached to it. And that's why they say, like an example of calcium, like, oh, well, the recommended dose of calcium carbonate is 1,500 milligrams a day. But you really don't want to actually absorb 1,500 milligrams of calcium a day. You really just want a very small percentage of that. But they know they give you that because they know that you're only going to be absorbing a small percentage of your calcium supplement. When we get our nutrition from food, from plants, our body recognizes it. 
and it is able to assimilate it and process it. And minerals are so important to so many aspects of our health. And not only that, but they're also really important to alkalinizing our body. Our body really likes to keep a healthy pH. And if the pH is off, then it's going to start, it's going to use minerals to bring it to a healthier state. And if, it, if you're too acidic, so to alkalinize the body, the body will take minerals from your bones if it has to, because the pH is so important in your body. So when we ingest plants and we're able to absorb the plants that have a lot of minerals in them, it's going to be naturally alkalinizing as well. And it's going to prevent the body from robbing minerals from other parts in our body just to keep a healthy pH. So by far, not only do the nourishing herbal infusions give you a full spectrum of a variety of minerals and vitamins and micro minerals, micronutrients, but they also give you a whole range of other plant chemicals that are also really important to health, that are antioxidant and anti-inflammatory and um, have other benefits that build and support health and build and support the health of the baby that you are growing. When we make nourishing herbal infusions, we use herbs that are food-like in nature. They don't, they aren't strongly medicinal, okay? They're just strongly nutritive. So we're not using aromatic herbs in our nourishing herbal infusions. We save those for teas or tinctures or like medicinal remedies. The nourishing herbal infusions, we use stinging nettle, oat straw, comfrey leaf, definitely the leaf of comfrey, not the root. We use red clover blossom, not the leaf, but the blossom, and linden blossoms. And I like to get the whole linden flowers, which Frontier Co-op offers instead of the cut and sifted. Linden is less nutritive, but highly anti-inflammatory and very restoring to the mucous membrane of the digestive system. Hands down, by far, I would always, no matter what state of health I was in, throw away my multivitamins and minerals supplements and always turn to the nourishing herbal infusions. And I did in my pregnancy. And I had a very healthy pregnancy and a, and a easy, you know, as easy as they go, uh, birthing experience. Now, along with that, I would also suggest really cooking your plant foods really well. And you get two benefits from this. The, one, the first benefit is that you will access the nutrition from your plant foods if you cook them for, say, 
an hour versus if you lightly steam them or eat them raw. You're not going to get the nutrition. It takes a long time um, in a cooking process to actually break down that cellulose structure, that cell wall structure, to access the nutrition that's inside it, the minerals that live inside it, which is what we're really going for. So cook your kale for an hour. And trust me, it will taste better. It'll taste delicious. Not only will you be able to access the minerals from your kale by cooking it for an hour, you'll be able to eat a large amount of it. Think about how much kale cooks down in that hour amount of time. Like you could literally eat what they sell a bunch for in a store. It will cook down to a really nice serving size of kale. There's no way, without getting a really upset stomach, would you be able to eat a raw kale salad or even a marinated kale salad or a kale smoothie by a whole by putting a whole bunch, like a literal bunch that you'd buy at a store, um, on your plate. It's just too fibrous. So we're breaking down the fiber, fibrous structure. We still get the beneficial fiber when we eat it. But we're breaking it down so that we can access the nutrition inside it. Not only do we get the nutrition, but by cooking your plant foods for a long time, you denature chemicals in the plant food that are could be hazardous to our health. So for the instance of kale, kale has oxalic acid in it, as does spinach. And that can be... Uh, irritating on our joints. It's a it's an acid, and it can also lead to kidney stones or gout or um, you know it can exacerbate arthritis and other inflammations in the body. And we get it when we eat it raw, and we don't get the calcium in the kale. But when we cook our kale. We, for a long period of time, we denature that oxalic acid and we get the calcium. Now, the other interesting thing about oxalic acid is that it's really helpful to eat something that has calcium in it, in in an assimilable form, with your oxalic acid foods because the calcium will bind with the oxalic the oxalates, it will turn it to calcium oxalate, and it'll remove it from the body. Now, the problem is when you combine calcium and oxalic acid in the kidneys, um, and it's not flushed enough, like you don't have enough urine to dilute it, it can cause kidney stones to be hard to eliminate. Calcium oxalate. But when you combine the calcium with the oxalic acid to form calcium oxalate in the, in the intestines, when you eat them together, then it, then it doesn't irritate the kidneys and it makes for an easier elimination of the oxalates. So if we think about traditional foods, we often see these green foods traditionally cooked with cream um, or cheese or yogurt 
like in Indian food with your cooked greens and yogurt or your creamed spinach soups. That's going to be an aspect of why we really want to cook our plant foods as well as our fruits. You want to really cook your fruit well if you want to get any nutrition from it. And then you can kind of it makes it less irritating. It gets rid of those acids, acidic nature of fruit, and makes it a lot less irritating on the digestive system. And so along with your really well-cooked stewed vegetables and uh, roasted vegetables and soups and you know well-cooked kale, when I say I cook kale for an hour, I'll cook it in a little bit of water. But by the time I'm done cooking it, there won't really be any water left. So I'm not making kale soup, although I do love kale soup in soup as well. But it's not like you're leaching out the vitamins into water and then throwing that water out. You could, If you do have water left over, you can drink it and it makes it's like a yummy warm broth. So that's nice too. So don't throw away your cooking water if there's any left. But when I cook my kale... There isn't any left. And then a little bit of tamari, a little bit of toasted sesame oil, and it is delicious. The other really important thing uh, for a nutritious pregnancy, from my understanding, is um, eating some red meat and some foods that are high in cholesterol. So eggs, um, dairy, butter, and good, well-raised meat, um, especially some red meat. And so the red meat provides us one of the protein, which is great, really important building block of all life. Um, But it also provides us with heme. And heme is what turns in to hemoglobin in our body, it helps to carry oxygen to all the cells in our throughout our whole body the hemoglobin, the red blood cells. So, and the heme is a type of iron that is only accessible from animals, from blood itself. And we need to ingest it. Like we can't make it, we can store it and we can um, ration it out, but we need to ingest it. So it's really important in my understanding, um, if you're pregnant, to be eating at least some amount, it doesn't have to be huge amounts, of red meat. Really important for to prevent any sort of anemia issues. So I hope that answered your question. I'm so sorry that I lost it, um, but there you have it. The next question ties in with this quite well, and this was um, a friend who was asking for her sister who has a nine-month-old, and she was wondering what foods and herbs, now that the baby is starting to eat food, what foods and herbs especially are helpful for that age of a child and ones that especially are going to be sources of iron. It's a pretty similar question. But, um, and, you know, I, I can only judge it from my own personal experience and I only have one child and she's six now and honestly nine months old just it all just seems like a blur especially that first year it's like what I don't even know I don't even remember 
But I do know that I breastfed um, my daughter, which I think is really important if it's possible to do. And then I, when she was ready to start eating food, the first food I fed her was um, this amazing whole fat, plain yogurt that I got from a local farm. And she loved it. And I felt like I was giving her like such a good food for her. It was like the next phase from breast milk. It just seemed like the natural thing was like um, really good quality yogurt because it is mineral rich and fat rich and cholesterol rich and uh, really helps to feed the microbiome and it's easy to eat and um, and kids they don't she didn't really mind the sourness of it at all I didn't they had you know a vanilla option but I never gave that to her she just she liked just the plain sour she loved it um, and I think eggs eggs and rice were also one of her first foods um, like well cooked and kind of cooked to, and then, you know, cooked the eggs with rice together. And then basically what you have on your plate, from my understanding, once your child's able to start chewing and, you know, swallowing food like that, the food, then you just want to introduce them to the food that's on your plate. And, Hopefully you're eating a really healthy diet and with really well-cooked vegetables. I mean, that's the key, right? You think of baby food that you buy, it's like pureed and well-cooked vegetables. They're not feeding babies salad because that's really hard to digest and break down and you're not going to get any nutrition from it. What you want is like really well-cooked, soft, easy to digest foods and the question, she also had a question about increasing iron. So the same goes with pregnancy. You know, if the mom is eating meat while lactating, then that's a good source of iron from my understanding. Um, and then really well-cooked greens is going to be another source. And then when the when the baby's old enough to start eating a little bit of meat here and there, then that is going to be, or like a liver pate is going to be like a really good source of iron. If there is a concern of anemia for the, for the baby. And again, you know, she asked, is there a concern with oxalic acid in greens and does that get cooked out? And from my understanding and research, it does for the most part, but then you also want to, Make sure you're cooking it long enough, like an hour. So it's just like, you know, and it doesn't even, like kale, it doesn't even get mushy. It just gets like tender and soft and sweeter, like the bitterness all gets cooked out of it. So yeah, well, well cooked greens, even beans. Beans are really good for like refried beans or like mashed beans beans, dried beans that have been cooked really well for a long time. Um, you can even put a little seaweed in the bean cooking water and that's seaweed provides a huge amount of minerals as well. So those are some ideas for you. 
Then I had um, a regular listener uh, say that she would want to have some more info on knowing how to dose herbs. Uh, she listened to the last ta- the last um, podcast where I answered questions and we talked about, you know, herbs not being drugs. And she's like, okay, I get that. But then like, but like how I'd like to some more information on how to actually figure out how to find a dosage of an herb. So again, this is like a huge topic and it's such a varied topic. So there is can very easily be a lot of confusion around it. And there are some things that are, it depends on. So it depends on the person that's taking the herbs So some people are highly sensitive. And if you are highly sensitive, you know that you're highly sensitive. You're going to be highly sensitive to everything, to drugs, to food, to people, to sound, you know, whatever it is. Like if you are a highly sensitive person and you don't need large amounts of things to have a reaction to them, then you can generally go with like low doses of herbs, of any herb, and then work your way up from there. And generally, I feel like highly sensitive people, um, it can be a gift because you can really easily, more easily maybe tune in to your body and what your body's telling you that it wants or doesn't want or need or doesn't need or it needs less of or more of something because it's so reactive, And then there are people, um, and I feel like I kind of fall more into this category, who aren't necessarily highly reactive or sensitive to things. Like you can kind of eat anything and it doesn't really bother you or or bother you much, you know, or you can, you know, you just don't overreact or react strongly to different things that you take and you can generally take larger doses of things or you sometimes need larger doses of things like growing up um, when I played in high school sports and I had like wicked shin splints it took multiple ibuprofens for me to get through a practice probably not the best (laughs) way to treat my body at that point in my life but you know we, we live and learn but so if you are someone who doesn't over, you know, doesn't have a lot of reactions to things or you feel like maybe it takes a lot of something, you have high tolerance, then you could probably do or maybe even will need uh, larger amounts of herbs. It also depends on the herb. So when we're dealing with nourishing herbal infusion type of herbs, these herbs that are very nutrient-rich and that are food-like in nature, like nettle is essentially very similar to kale, then you're going to need a lot of it if you want to get the benefits that you're looking for. And that's why when we make nourishing herbal infusions, some people call them long infusions or strong infusions or just plain infusions, We're using a large amount of dried plant material and we're steeping it for a long amount of time. Just like we're cooking our vegetables for a long amount of time, it's the same concept. And we're using a large amount of vegetables and we're cooking it down and we're concentrating the nutrition. 
the same idea with these food-like herbs, these nourishing herbs. It's, you know, to really get the nutrition, you're not going to get it in a dropper full of nettle. You're going to get it by weighing out an ounce of dried nettle, which is basically like four ounces of fresh nettle leaf. One ounce of dried nettle, put it in a quart jar, it's almost going to fill that jar halfway full. Okay, so that's like a large amount of plant material, and that's what we need. Then there are really low-dose herbs, and those ones are going to be like poke, root, golden seal, root, uh, which I don't really use. I don't really use either of them. Um, I do have poke root on hand in case of an emergency uh, or like a really serious infection or a need to move the lymph, but it's not like a go-to herb. It's just, it's like one to keep in the medicine cabinet just in case kind of thing. Other low-dose herbs would be like teasel root, um, osha root, and then there are also herbs that you don't want to use a lot of if you're thinking for plant sustainability, like osha is not a plant that I work with at all. But I've heard people work with that work with it and they use it in low doses be, and in part because it's it's um, an at-risk plant, you know, so it's not a plant that sustainability would involve it being taken in large amounts. It would be unsustainable to take the herb in large quantities, whereas herbs like nettle is a very abundant plant and it grows abundantly and we're not using the root we're using the air the tops of the the greens and we can still harvest the greens and then allow the plant to go to seed and reproduce plus some nettle is perennial depending on the species that you have so that's another consideration one is the the intensity or the amount of poison in an herb those are going to be low-dose herbs versus the amount of nutrition in an herb, and that's going to be a high-dose herb, and then everything in between. And then um, another thing to consider when you're thinking about the dose of a plant is the type of remedy that you have. So the remedy, is it um, a tincture or is it a nourishing herbal infusion? So tinctures generally is a low-dose remedy. Um, nourishing herbal infusions, you want to drink a whole quart a day of nourishing herbal infusion. Of a you know, obviously you're not going to drink a quart of tincture a day, um, or you'd be very drunk. <laughs> but you could drink, you know, you could have a, a milliliter or maybe an ounce if it's like a high dose herb, and you're it, say you. Say you threw out your back and you have uh, hypericum, otherwise known as St. John's wort or St. Joan's wort tincture on hand. And you take a dropper full every 20 minutes until you start to feel at ease. And this is an herb where there's, um, you know, it, you can take it in lavish amounts, in large amounts, and it's not going to harm you. Um, 
a lot of people, it comes with the caveat, if you're taking a lot of prescription medication, it could affect how your body clears that that medication. Maybe it will clear the medication faster from your body, which could cause a problem depending on what medication you're taking. But that point aside, large amounts of hypericum um, could be fine if you have access to large amounts is the other thing. So, you know, vinegars you would take a large amount of probably or an oxymel, although ooh, puckering, like I don't know how much vinegar do you really want to drink before it starts to upset your stomach. Um, or oxymels, syrups. Syrups are like a constant, really concentrated water uh, infusion or tea. So like they're concentrated so that you can take smaller amounts of it. Take a syrup by the teaspoonful as needed. I think that's another, so I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Uh, what I was going to say about the St. John's wort or St. Jones wort is for me, or say for like a yarrow tincture, which I'm going to be talking about later, my personal experience of late with yarrow tincture is that if you make your own tinctures, it's very affordable to take them in large amounts and you have them on hand. Like you, in a summer, you could easily make a quart of yarrow tincture and it would be Maybe t- you maybe have a ten dollar investment in it, and so at that point you could feel like you could take as much yarrow tincture as you needed, and you could be on the higher end of dosing with it. If you are buying yarrow tincture at your local herb shop for twelve dollars an ounce or whatever it is, you're not going to feel all that excited about larger doses of the herb, even though it would be totally safe because it's not financially sustainable for you. So that's another consideration is how much you have access to and how much you can financially afford to have access to, which is one reason why it's really great to be able to make your own herbal extracts. You can really save money and you can do higher doses. So another thing, as I was going to say, Um, is um, as needed, like take a dose as needed. So that's like a caveat that I feel like comes along with a lot of dosing when I talk about it anyway, is because you can start with a small amount of a dose, but if you aren't getting an effect that you're looking for, then up your dose. Or if you're getting the effect, but then it wears off, then take that dose again or take that dose and then a little bit more to see how much longer. And this is where it really comes with listening to your intuition and just letting yourself guide the process of figuring out what the dose is for you. And it and it's always going to be changing and it's always going to be different. It's because it's not a drug and it's the plants have variation And you have variation. You have variation on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute basis. You're always changing. Your body is always doing something different. In patterns, sure, and maybe not drastic changes or differences, but the herbs 
you know, the yarrow tincture that I made from my backyard is going to be a very different tincture than the yarrow tincture that I buy off a store shelf. Not only is it going to be a very different tincture, but I'm going to have a different relationship to it, which is going to change um, how I interact with it. I mean, maybe that yarrow tincture I made is a plant from my garden that I have known and related to and have communicated with for years and have made a remedy with for years. And that's going to have a very different effect than um, just one that I buy off the shelf that I have no relationship to. And in some ways, a lot of people would maybe consider the fact that, well, if I have that strong of a relationship with the one that I made, maybe I would only really need a very small dose from it. Or maybe all I'd have to do is hold that bottle in my hand to get the effect that I'm looking for. This is how broad, how broad dosing can really be. Another consideration uh, when you're thinking about what your dose of your herb should be is, do you have an acute problem? Like, do you have a flu that is coming on like right now? Like, do you have a sore throat? Do you have an active infection? Or do you have, did you just throw your back out? Like, do you have, are you in pain? Or do you have like a long-term chronic thing that you're working to heal? Like a long-term chronic skin um, inflammation or something. Then your dosing is also going to be very different. If you're going to be you know, you're going to, if for something acute, you're going to want to maybe take that herb every 20 minutes or every hour in small amounts, but you always are going to have it kind of running through your bloodstream. And so know that every drop of your blood goes through your liver every hour. So you're processing constantly, like within an hour, the herb chemistry that's in your blood has gone through your liver and your liver has either already metabolized it or has tagged it or has done something with it. It's, you know, waiting to see what it's going to do, whatever, but it has made, made the rounds, so to speak. In chronic conditions, you need to be thinking of taking an herb long-term, like you know, say you've had this condition for a year, maybe you want to take the herb for three months before you like kind of reevaluate and you're like, okay, like, has this helped or not? And in that case, you know, you probably want to take smaller doses, but like more on a daily basis. It's more about consistency for the long haul, right? So those are considerations as well. So listen to your body, Start with a small dose, which could be one drop, it could be five drops of a tincture, it could be a full dropper full of a tincture, if it's something that's new to you, and then just work your way up and listen to your, and explore and experiment. You, you know, and if you are playing around with an herb, at least know, is this a poisonous plant, and is it like a, a low-dose herb where we, where we have to do drop doses for safety, which there are very few of, or, 
you know, is this a safe herb to, to play around with and just see what works for me? There's another tip that, um, yeah, Susan Weed suggests to people, and this is a way of kind of tuning in with your body, is to put a dose in the palm of your hand and just let intuition guide you in that sense. So say it's a tincture and you put your hand out and you just start by putting one drop at a time into your hand and let it build and build until you feel like that's enough and you've counted your drops. And then you can just kind of lick that out of your palm and start there and then see where it goes for you. This is really the beauty, one of the many beauties of herbalism is that it really helps us to pay attention to our own bodies and how we are reacting to the world around us and how we are reacting to what we put into ourselves. Now, when we are working with drinkable infusions like nourishing infusions or herbal tisanes or herbal tea or syrups that we're adding to drinks, then like for me, an herbal tea, you know, if it's an herb that I really am looking for a benefit from, if it's like an after dinner tea, if you want to ease some gas or cramping, probably just one cup of fennel tea should help you out. But might as well just make a quart and have it on hand for the next day or so and sip on it throughout the day. Like I kind of, I love this idea of just either having a cup of tea and seeing how you feel with that cup of tea. And then you can have another one if you want. Make a teapot so you can just kind of fill your cup throughout the day or make, fill your thermos with a tea that you are drinking for health and just sip on it throughout the day and know that you have it with you and it's a part of your day and throw out your water and replace it with your tea and just, or your nourishing herbal infusion. And that is what you are consuming for the day. And the more you practice, uh, the more your intuition will develop and the more you will get to know the plants that you're working with. And this is also why it's really important, I think, that when you're starting to work with herbs and you're starting to figure out your doses, to work with them as simples. Because once a plant is in a formula with a bunch of other plants, it's harder for you to to let intuition guide you. It's harder for you to form a relationship with that plant and decide what the dose is. It's harder for you to you know, take that formula, that remedy, and to actually decipher, like, what, what do I need? You know, what do I need from each of those plants? Or am I even getting enough? You know, if your formula has six different herbs in it, and you're having, you're starting out with one or two or five drops, or even a dropper full, like how much of each of that plant is really in that drop or dropper full? So if you really want clarity in your dosing, it's best to start with herbs as simples, one at a time. And then from there, you can work with multiple herbs 
in one time, but as simples. So you can be like, oh, uh, today, you know, say you have three herbs that you're working with, like yarrow, elderberry, and echinacea. Like you're really fighting some sort of infection. Instead of throwing them all in one formula and then figuring out what your dose is for that formula, you could have a tincture of each of those herbs. And you can figure out each day, like, oh, do I really, do I need more echinacea today or more elderberry or, you know, more yarrow? Or do I just need one of these three? It gives you a lot more play and a lot more experimentation time than if they're already in a formula and then all you have is, you know, that formula to work with. So keep it simple so that you can enjoy the complexities. Okay, and that ties into the next question that someone asked on my blog in response to a blog post that I did about, um, you know, herbs for, I think it was herbs for back to school season. And it was, I talked about both astragalus and elderberry. And which I've done, I've talked about in past podcasts, but um, quite, quite a bit. Her question was, do you combine, because I didn't in the recipe in the blog post, it was just, I might have done, I hope I did, a recipe for astragalus nourishing herbal infusion, and then a recipe for elderberry syrup with just elderberry. I do only elderberry in my elderberry syrup, and then I do just astragalus root in my astragalus nourishing herbal infusion, which I weigh out an ounce of the astragalus root and let it steep for eight hours or overnight. And the elderberry syrup is just elderberries and water and honey. And you can do sugar if it's for a child that's under a year or two old. So so she's like, I didn't see, like, would you combine these ever to make a syrup? And really, like I was just saying, I want to keep the remedies separate. And especially with astragalus and elderberry. You could always have your astragalus infusion and put some elderberry syrup in it and sip on that throughout the day if you want. But you want to keep your elderberry syrup just as elderberry syrup because there will be times like, you know, generally astragalus root, we want to use the infusion when just like as an immune tonic or as an immune support and builder. It's an adaptogen. It's going to help us just be healthier, especially in help our immunity be healthier. Elderberry is a little bit more specific. Like it's going to prevent viruses from replicating in your body. It's going to knock off the protein off of the virus that inserts itself for replication. It's like that gets it, the acts that gives the virus the access into the cell. It's like it takes the key right off of the virus so it can't unlock itself into our own cells to replicate. So elderberry, I want to take like as a dose, if I know that I've been exposed to a virus or I just am starting to feel a virus coming on, I'm going to be taking large and frequent doses of elderberry syrup. For days until 
symptoms start to deplete or until it's been a few days and I've known that I'm not going to actually have an expression of the virus or my immune system won't need to reach as far as flu symptoms to fight the virus because the elderberry has already done it. For the astragalus, that's kind of at that stage when you are starting to get sick, usually you kind of back off from the astragalus and you work with the stronger, more um, anti-infective herbs and where the astragalus is more immune building. But astragalus does have some antiviral, antibacterial properties. So if that's all you have, then you can work with the astragalus. But I don't want to dilute my elderberry syrup with astragalus root. I want it to be just concentrated elderberry. So that's why I don't combine them. So I also, so those are the questions that I got. Thank you so much. What great questions. I hope that my answers have brought some clarity for you. And then I just want to share a little bit of experience that I've had of late with yarrow tincture, which I love to always have on hand. It's probably the tincture that I use the most. Um, throughout the year. And I always make sure that I have a nice stock of it because of that reason. But um, I was working with it as an anti-infective. I had a, which we can only guess was a spider bite. And it, it, um, it got pretty, I think it got infected. Um, I don't really know. It, it's, it was, I think it was mildly infected, but it, it was just a very bad, bad bite. And I had it for a long time, probably for like a month. And it just finally got to the point where I don't want to get into the details, but we were obviously fighting an infection. And so what I did is I, it kind of had blistered. And so once the blister was starting to drain, then I applied yarrow tincture um, onto my bandage. And then I just had the bandage on the draining wound f- um, until the wound, until the infection was gone and the wound healed. And it worked wonderfully and it took the pain away and um, it was really easy. I just put the yarrow tincture on the Band-Aid and then uh, put it right directly on the wound. It would sting for like, and I think it was more from the alcohol content. I use 100 proof vodka, um, which is a lot gentler on skin than the ethanol or like the super high proof alcohol that some people use for tinctures. And you could always dilute it with water if you don't like the sting. The sting wasn't like so bad. It just, it went from a sting to like immediate pain relief. Um, and, and so not only does it, you know, stop infections, but it helps to like astringe the wound. Um, it doesn't like make it heal too fast, but it definitely helps to kind of pull the skin tissue together. And is I find it to also help to prevent scarring. And I, so I basically changed the bandage once or twice a day. And every time I put the yarrow tincture on it and I didn't need antibiotics, I didn't need antibiotic cream or anything like that. It just worked really wonderfully. So I wanted to share that with you. I don't know if you've ever, this is the first spider bite 
I've ever experienced. And it was different than any other bite that I have ever experienced. I'll tell you that. And then um, I just recently, my daughter had an extra tooth that she had to have pulled for the health of her other adult teeth that needed to come in. And what we did when she got home from having the extraction, it was a pretty big extraction. And um, by the time we got home, it, the, the gum was still bleeding. Um, you know, she was using gauze. And so we just put a little drop of the yarrow tincture on the gauze. And then she applied that directly um, to the wound. And it's it did and I thought she wouldn't feel the sting of it because I thought it was still still had the anas the local anesthesia on it, but she did say it stung, so she basically like touched it to it and then immediately took it away. But even just that small amount of contact, it stopped bleeding. It stopped the bleeding and it really estringed it. And that's another really beneficial thing that Yarrow does, and especially for gums. It's excellent for gum care and excellent um, if you have bleeding gums or if your gums just need to have more tone or if you have infections, periodontal disease or infections in the gum. I really, you know, this was a very deep hole and I really didn't want her to have any infections that would form inside that wound. So she did the yarrow tincture. It stung. So today... That was yesterday when she got it pulled. Today, um, when she got home from school, she hasn't had any pain. Like she's been a total trooper. But I said we got to do the yarrow tincture again. But what I did is I wet the gauze first with water, and then I applied the yarrow tincture, and she didn't have any sting at all from it. Um, and we'll, we'll do that until it totally heals, because you know once a day, or as needed, because I want that to heal really well and I don't want any chance for any infection to get in there. So those are my two experiences, my two herbal experiences of late that I wanted to share with you, Yarrow Tincture to the rescue. And then also quickly, I just wanted to let you know, um, well, I'm at one year of podcasting pretty much. I think um, next week is the anniversary the one year anniversary of the podcast. The first podcast was January 21st, 2021. And um, that podcast, if you have a chance to check it back out, if you are making resolutions for your new year, kind of give some hints and suggestions as to um, ways to make resolutions that stick and or ways to set goals that um, are helpful and beneficial to, to helping you meet those goals. And I talk a little bit about uh, nourishing infusions versus tea. So if you wanted to dive a little deeper into that topic, check that out. And I also, if one of your goals or resolutions this year is to start incorporating nourishing herbal infusions into your daily life, then I do have an online class called Nourish Yourself, which provides you with a lot of really detailed information about those main five herbs that we like to work with. And I originally learned about these from Susan Weed. 
and uh, she's been very supportive in me creating this course and passing on the information. The, the, the main goal is to really make it easy and informative um, to get you all set up in the process and forming the habit of nourishing herbal infusions. So you can check that out. And I, you know, I was offering it as a live course for a couple years and now it's just kind of evergreen, but I think I, I'm going to breathe a little bit of life into that. The beginning, you know, I've had actually recently a few people sign up and so I want to put a little bit more of attention and um, intention into that course again. And so if you're interested, check it out. And the more people that sign up, um, the more motivation we'll all have together. And maybe I can do another live class for that course if I get some new people signing up for it. So check it out. I'd love to see you there. And also real quick, um, if you want to learn more about these nourishing herbal infusions, Susan Weed has a podcast and I think three weeks ago, um, so not last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before they had on her podcast, which is called Ask Herbal Health Expert. Um, she, they just played a presentation that she did about the nourishing herbal infusions. So if you need any more convincing, or if you really want some good perspective on that from a woman who's been promoting them for a long, long time, probably 40 years, then, and has experience with lots of stories and of people working with them, then, uh, check that out. That's a really, really nice motivating uh, presentation. And you can find me at the regular places, Instagram, Facebook, my website, all with the tag Solidago Herb School. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube